You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Almighty God, I pray that you would humble sinners and exalt the Savior by the power and grace of your Holy Spirit for the sake of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Amen. Well, in 2005, uh, Christian Smith and Melinda Lindquist published a book called Soul Searching, The Religious and Spiritual Lives of American Teens. And in this book, they coined a term called moralistic therapeutic deism, which is an encapsulation of the composite theology of American young people. Kids first believe that Christianity was a set of rules to follow. Secondly, they believe that the purpose of Christianity was to bolster one's self-esteem and to feel good. And thirdly, they believe that the character of God is that he was distant and uninvolved. Smith and Lundquist wrote, Moralistic therapeutic deism is about providing therapeutic benefits to its adherents. In short, God is something like a combination divine butler and cosmic therapist. He is always on call, takes care of any problems that arise, professionally helps his people to feel better about themselves, and does not become too personally involved in the process. Now, this view is a tragedy. It's antithetical to basic biblical Christianity. But the question I want to ask for all of us today, is Jesus primarily your therapist, or is Jesus primarily your rescuer? Is he a buddy that you call to give you a little boost every now and then? Or is he an ambulance service who comes with paddles and CPR to resuscitate you? This question can relate to the on-again, off-again church attender or the most committed Christian. Is Jesus primarily your therapist, or is Jesus primarily your rescuer? Now, the book of Esther is a story of rescue. Due to the cunning wickedness of Haman and the foolishness of King Xerxes, the Jews find themselves in a catastrophically vulnerable position. Haman has persuaded the king to issue a decree mandating the death of all of the Jews in the kingdom. And as disenfranchised exiles, the Jewish people are completely defenseless. Their only hope is divine rescue. So today I want to look at this question of Jesus the therapist versus Jesus the rescuer in three parts. Esther and rescue. Jesus and rescue. And transformation and rescue. And when we see our relationship with God fundamentally in terms of rescue, the gospel can truly transform our lives. So first, Esther and rescue. The story of Esther is one of the best stories in the entire Bible. It occurs about a hundred years after the Babylonian captivity. Now before the Babylonian captivity, God through the prophets had warned the Israelites over and over again, do not make foreign alliances for your protection trust in me. But the Israelites regarded his commands, and as a result, the Babylonians conquered Israel, they removed the people from their land, and they put them in exile in Babylon. Well, during the exile, the Persians came, and they conquered the Babylonians. So new management was put in place, and there was a new boss, and the new boss was King Xerxes. And in this dramatic story, Esther, who is a Jewish orphan, is put in a heroic position. King Xerxes, in a decision driven largely by his ego, has fired his wife, King Vashti. 
And rather than asking friends to set him up on a date or signing up for the latest dating app, he does what any reasonable king would do. He calls for a kingdom-wide beauty contest whereby he will select a quality wife. And the good news for the Jewish people, as we'll find out later, is that Esther was King Xerxes' type. She won the Miss Persia beauty contest, and she became queen. And this turned out to be crucial to the Jewish people due to a sinister set of circumstances that came upon them. Now, an evil nobleman named Haman was utterly, named Haman, had convinced the king that the Jews were a nuisance and that they were undermining his rule and that he needed to get rid of them. The king was persuaded and he ordered a decree to kill all the Jewish people in the kingdom. Well, the Jewish people were completely vulnerable and defenseless against the Persians. They were disenfranchised exiles and the Persian kingdom was one of the most powerful kingdoms in world history. But the dice were rolled and a date was set for their extermination. Well, unbeknownst to the king, Esther was Jewish. She had never revealed this to the king about her religious background and her ethnicity. And so Esther, rather, at a, at a banquet, the king had offered Esther up to half of his kingdom. And rather than accepting it for her own personal gain, Esther cashed in her chips in order to rescue her people. And that's exactly what happened. The king agreed. So there are two things in this story that I want you to notice. First, I want you to notice the quiet rescue of God through the life of Esther. The word God is not used one time in this entire book, but we can see how God orchestrates all the movements and circumstances in Esther's life to put her in this position of power where she can rescue the people. Esther 7 is the first place in the whole book where she is referred to as Queen Esther, which is a nod to God's providence and bringing her to this position of influence. And when Esther makes her plea to the the king to save the people, she conveys just how vulnerable the Jewish people are by using repetition. She says, we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. This is not a call my buddy for a little boost of self-esteem type problem. This is a situation that warrants rescue. What was being decreed was genocide like we have seen in Rwanda and Sudan and the Holocaust. And so Esther risked her life to intervene as an intermediator. And what we can see is that God rescues them through her heroism. We can clearly see the character of God as a rescuer. Now the second thing I want you to see is God's heart for vulnerable people. The Jews are disenfranchised exiles. God works to perfect and provide and to defend them. And throughout the Bible, we see God calling his people to look after and to defend the cause of widows and orphans and refugees and immigrants, the poor and the sick and the elderly. And he calls people to intervene on the behalf of the vulnerable because God has a sensitivity and a concern for the vulnerable. And this is part of what biblical justice looks like, taking up and defending the cause of the poor and the weak. And we all like this aspect of God's justice. Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, if this is what biblical justice looks like, it's something that we can all get on board with. But there's a part of God's justice that none of us are terribly fond of. And that takes us to our second point, Jesus and rescue. Now, sometimes when we read heroic stories like this in the Bible, 
we can overlook a salient theme, and that is that all of the characters in the Bible are flawed and sinful. Now, in this story, Haman and King Xerxes, it's very obvious that, that these are really dark individuals. But what about Esther? She's the heroine, right? Well, she's hardly the paragon of religious and moral purity. Uh, Esther was a Jewish woman, and she had married a Gentile, which was a big violation of God's law. And she lived in the king's court, and she broke all of the dietary laws of the Old Testament. And so an original Jewish reader would have seen Esther as flawed and sinful, just like you and me. And that takes us back to this conversation about vulnerability and justice. Every person in the story, every person in the Bible, every person in this room, we are all vulnerable because every one of us has sinned against a perfect, holy God. Now, we like justice when we're the victim, and we like justice when we identify with victims, but we don't like justice very much when we're the perpetrator or when we're the offending party. And unfortunately, we are all the offending party in our relationship with God, and that makes us vulnerable and defenseless before God's justice and judgment. Now listen, God is definitely a friend and a counselor. He's an encourager and an affirmer. He's someone that we can call on. And if that's all that God is to you, then he has no solutions for this ultimate problem of our vulnerability that comes through sin. But fortunately, God is a rescuer. That's his character. And he delights in rescuing people. He delights in rescuing the vulnerable, whether that's the widow and the orphan or whether that's the sinner before the judgment of God. Now, Esther is what we call in biblical studies a type She is an Old Testament figure who concretely foreshadows what Jesus will do in his coming, but to a greater degree. Like Esther, Jesus is royalty. He's the king of kings. And like Esther, he endangers himself by coming into the fallen world. And like Esther, he has earned the right to receive a great reward. And like Esther, he declines that reward. Esther sacrifices her personal wealth, and Jesus sacrifices his life as a ransom for his people. Jesus makes himself ultimately vulnerable to remove us from our vulnerability before God. Jesus makes himself completely defenseless on the cross to remove us from our defenseless position before God. This is not the work of a life coach. This is the work of a rescuer. So we have talked about Esther and rescue. We have talked about Jesus and rescue. Finally, we look at transformation and rescue. To commemorate this great moment in the history of Israel, Jewish people every year celebrate Purim, which is where the story of Esther is read twice in a 24-hour period. It's similar to the Passover feast, where Jewish people remember how God delivered them from slavery and death in Egypt. And as Christians, we celebrate Lent every year. We remember how our rescue by Jesus on the cross. That's why we take communion each week. It's for the same reason, to remember our vulnerability and to remember our rescue. God has instituted these celebrations because it is sanctifying for us to remember our spiritual vulnerability and to remember the rescue of God through the grace of Jesus Christ. It's sanctifying for us to remember this rescue because it leads us to rely on the Lord It makes us people who are more humble and grateful and compassionate. And it makes us relate to God 
primarily as a rescuer. Well, there's probably no organization that is better at modeling this kind of remembering than Alcoholics Anonymous. If you've ever gone to an AA meeting as a guest or as a participant, you know that the pattern of an AA meeting is people telling stories about how out of control and dangerous their life had become as a product of addiction to drugs and alcohol. And then they finish every meeting by asking God by his grace to rescue them from their addiction for one more day. When I was a seminary student in pastoral theology, as part of the class, I had to go to a number of AA meetings. At the meeting that I would go to, there was a woman who we'll call Joan. And Joan was very impressive. She was a middle-aged woman with a graduate degree and a successful career, but Joan was addicted to alcohol and to prescription drugs. And she would tell the same story over and over again, just about every week. And the story always involved the time that she was arrested for breaking into a pharmacy to steal pills. It was the first time she was arrested, but it was the eighth time that she had broken into a pharmacy to steal drugs. And Joan would tell this story every week to remind herself of just how powerless, just how defenseless she was against this particular sin in her life, and to ask God by his grace to rescue her for one more day. Joan had this really unique practice where she kept all of her shoes underneath her bed. Because Joan said that if your shoes are under your bed, the only way to retrieve them on any given day is to get on your knees. And she did that to force herself every day to get on her knees, to remember her spiritual vulnerability, and to ask God by his grace to rescue her just for that day. Now, what does rescue look like for us? Rescue looks like praying and reading your Bible and coming to church every Sunday. And if you're a Christian, taking communion. And as you do these things, doing it in a manner where we say, Jesus, rescue me by your grace. Rescue me from my fear of the future, from my despair, from my depression, from my anxiety. Jesus, rescue me from my selfishness, from my bad temper, from my resentments, from my bitterness. Jesus, rescue me just for today. And what is the key thing that we have to know and believe in order to live this life where we relate to God foundationally as a rescuer? Well, at the conclusion of Esther 7, Haman is sent to a gruesome death. He is impaled on a 75-foot-high spike. And uh, as terrible as this is, there is a part of us that stands up and cheer because Haman is the bad guy. He's a genocidal maniac. And there is something vindicating and something just about seeing him die in such a way. But we don't feel good when the good guy dies on an instrument of pain. But that's the story of Jesus. Jesus goes to the cross. And Jesus goes to the cross by his own choosing, on his own volition. And he does that because of the compassion and the grace and the mercy that he feels for you and me. And when we remember the grace and the mercy that flows out of the cross, that is what enables us to hit our knees day after day and to say, Jesus, rescue me again and again and again. Let us pray. Almighty God, we pray that you would glorify yourself in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.